1: At UH1.com.
2: Pat, are you a fan of It's a Wonderful Life?
1: You I mean it's one of my top Christmas
2: movies? Sure. Okay. Because I, I don't know about you, but over this weekend, I kind of felt like um, we were watching that play out in
1: real life. Um, I don't know about you. Are you referring to the Silicon Valley bank situation?
2: Yes, yes I am. Um, The run on the banks uh, began on Friday as the largest bank in Silicon Valley collapses on itself. And it turns out that um, taking on bad debt is usually a bad idea. Um, I'm pretty sure with the exception of the Great Depression, I am pretty darn sure that taking on terrible debt leads to terrible things happening. It is almost as if every time in history, with the exception of the Great Depression, which had multiple other factors involved, um, it's a bad idea. Just, just Generally
1: right. speaking, yeah. Mm-hmm,
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about uh, SVB. Well, on top of that, though, Pat, it was a fun weekend because it was a... Uh, ncaa tournament selection sunday and some really great tournament games period at the conference level over the weekend so we're going to talk about the ncaa tournament and of course rise of the fourth reich we're going to hit the book club with that Uh, chapters three and four coming your way today all that and more on this edition of critical thinking Yeah, I mean, I literally had this like running picture pad of of the the scene where where Potter is trying to barter with the individuals and tell them it's a loan, it's not a you know whatever, and and they'll have all of their money the next day, and then I feel like Janet Yellen and and everybody else um, happens to be the uh, uh, what's the name of the character, not Potter, but the uh, the old man. Uh, oh, no, the old man Potter. Yeah. 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 It is Potter. Old Potter. I, mean, I meant. Um, yeah. Where where Potter plays the savior. Right. And right. basically uh, owns the bank at that point in time um, or the savings and loan, as it were, in that uh, in that movie. It's that, that literally that scene where everybody is trying to get their money out. It just played over and over and over in my head. I don't know about you.
1: I mean it makes sense. I it it never really occurred to me to look at it that way, but it makes sense.
2: Hmm. Well, is it bad when um banks start uh, becoming insolvent, Pat? Yeah, it's pretty bad. Okay. So is it even worse when the federal government bails a errr, um, creates a new program. Um that 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 won't cause taxpayers' assent.
1: To bail them out. Uh, didn't Janet Yellen say that they weren't bailing out the Silicon Valley Bank though? Mm. <laughs> ah.
2: Well, you see, first of all, she can she thinks she can get away with that because the FDIC pat right. The Federal Uh Deposit Insurance Corporation, right? It is basically a self-funded organization, mainly. Uh huh. And they're right because the banks that are a member of the FDIC pay quarterly dues, right? Uh That help fund this insurance fund. But you're only funded up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars on an individual bank account level. um, Silicon Valley Bank, Pat, they had a run of $42 billion on Friday alone. Oh, boy. Okay. The FDIC likely does not have $42 billion to bail people out. And more importantly, of that $42 billion, let's just say it was 42 accounts and it was $1 billion apiece, right? Right. Let's just hypothetically say that. Of that $1 billion in your bank account, I don't know who has that in, in a single bank account because you're an idiot, but, but um, only $250,000 of that is insured. So... As we see Silicon Valley Bank go tits up, we also see another bank in New York go tits up over the weekend. Are are, are we in trouble, Pat? That's going to be my first question to you. It certainly looks that way. Yeah. Signature Bank in New York collapses on Saturday, right? Mm-hmm. Um. They're hoping this isn't a larger run on the banks, correct? That's what—that's the hope. Yes. Okay. How do you think they're going to stem the tide of a run on the banks, and why are why is there a run on the bank?
1: I mean, I—I I th- I think they're hoping you know the the whole insured FDIC possible bailout situation that, that that's probably coming is going to solve this problem. Sure. Uh, I think that's the hope.
2: Right. That is that is the hope. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into the hope here in a little bit. But I want people to understand this. The, the, the run of the bank is really happening because these banks have over leveraged themselves in debt. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. And when that happens, they are over leveraged with bad debt that they can't get rid of, okay? And they can't charge enough interest to get rid of them. They can't trade them. They are they are untradeable securities, if you will, right? Because what do we know about the banks writ large, Pat? It's that when you go and deposit $100, your $100 doesn't stay in your specific account. It is part and parcel of a larger pool of money that they're going to take, and leverage with loans, right? So if you go to your bank, right? Let's say you bank at Chase or you bank at Capital One or wherever you're going to be banking. Mm -hmm. All of the money is pulled together and the bank is going to take the money and bet that you are not going to pull more money out than they're going to get when they take all of the money and give you a bank note for your home or a car loan or... They're going to leverage a uh, uh, treasury securities, right? Or a CD or whatever they're going to loan out or or put as a long-term asset, right? They're betting that you're not going to be pulling more than they're able to take in out. Well, when Silicon Valley Bank is lending bad debt, um, people don't feel like that's going to be a liquid and and they start finding out that the bank doesn't have enough money to give them the money that they need as a business, as a personal account, or whatever have you, that's a problem. Right. That's the insolvency problem. When they have more debt than they have assets. And, they've, and here's the other part of this. Silicon Valley Bank is largely stuck with startups, okay? They are right. a large lender to startup companies. And I've lived in that world, Pat, you've sometimes lived in that world as well. Startups are a very risky investment period point blank. Right. Much more so in this at this point in time given the fact that lending comes with such high interest rates. So the ability for them to pay that debt back is a really risky proposition. When you are holding on to the fact that you need 7 8 9 10 11% back and they can't pay it it becomes a massive problem for you because that's where your insolvency comes from. So I wanna, I wanna set it up this with that knowledge, okay? It is all about debt. It is all about taking on risky, bad investments. And we have seen this time and time and time again from banks over and over and over and over and over again. We saw this with the housing crisis in 2006 and seven and eight when they were basically encouraged by the government, right? to hand out loans for homes that people knowingly could not pay back. Their credit scores, their profile said, don't lend. But the federal government said, lend. Because of redlining, because of past discrimination, because of all of the things that have taken place in the past, they attempted to fix it and they overcorrected it. And now banks had to loan money to people who could not afford to pay it back. Now, now, they've reined it back in a little bit on the housing crisis side. So, what are they going to do from this business lending side of things? I think that's going to be something to watch come down the road here. But, like you said, Pat, the solution to this crisis and the hope that more banks that are overleveraged won't go tits up. Um, the solution. Okay, <sighs> You see, it, it, it won't be the taxpayer that is on the hook, right? That's the big thing. There's going to be no taxpayer bailout. That's what Janet Yellen really told us over the weekend. Right, Pat? No taxpayer bailout. Coming.
1: Right. I, I'm not buying it. But
2: anyway. Well, I'm glad you're not buying what she uh, put down because on Sunday they announced They're calling it the Bank Term Funding Program, BTFP for short. Okay? Mm
1: -hmm. They're not
2: calling Mm -hmm. it a bailout.
1: Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh
2: But the Fed is involved, which means it is. Oh, you know what? Modern Monetary Theory. I forgot it's a Monday. It's a Modern Monetary Monday. I forgot about shit. How did I forget that modern monetary theory solves all of our problems?
1: Well, you—you you, you see, Andrew, um, you're just a dumb libertarian that that doesn't understand how real modern monetary theory works, and you, you just need to hold embrace up. It. Wait
2: a minute. Yeah. You actually believe that modern monetary theory works?
1: No, I don't. I don't. Oh, okay. I don't. So I, I was being sarcastic, but um, yeah.
2: The Fed last night, okay, Mm -hmm. released a statement on the lending program, okay, the Mm -hmm. BTFP or whatever, okay? Uh Uh-huh. So, I'm going to read the statement, and then I want your reaction, Pat. Okay. Okay. From the Fed. To support American businesses and households, the Federal Reserve Board on Sunday announced it will make available additional funding to eligible depository institutions to help assure banks have the ability to meet the needs of their depositors. This action will bolster the capacity of the banking system to safeguard deposits and ensure the ongoing provision of money and credit to the economy. The Federal Reserve is prepared to address any liquidity pressures that may arise. The additional funding will be made available through the creation of a new bank term funding program, offering loans of up to one year in length to banks, savings associations, credit unions, and other eligible eligible depository institutions, pledging U.S. treasuries, agency debt, and mortgage-backed securities, and other qualifying assets as collateral. These assets will be valued at par. The BTFP will be an additional source of liquidity against high-quality securities, eliminating an institution's need to quickly sell those securities in times of stress. With approval of the Treasury Secretary, the Department of Treasury will make available up to $25 billion from the Exchange Stabilization Fund as a backstop for the BTFP. The Federal Reserve does not anticipate that it will be necessary to draw on these backstop funding. After receiving a recommendation from the board of the Federal uh, Deposit Insurance Corporation and the Federal Reserve, Treasury Secretary Yellen, after consultation with the president, approved actions to enable the FDIC to complete its resolutions of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank in a manner that fully protects all depositors, both insured and uninsured. These actions will reduce stress across the financial system, support financial stability, and minimize any impact on businesses, households, taxpayers, and the broader economy. The board is carefully monitoring developments in financial markets. The capital and liquidity positions of the U.S. banking system are strong, and the U.S. financial system is resilient. Depository institutions may obtain liquidity against a wide range of collateral through the discount window, which remains open and available. In addition, the discount window will apply to the same margins used for the securities eligible for the BTFP, further increasing lendable value at the window. The board is closely monitoring conditions across the financial system, is prepared to use its full range of tools to support households and businesses, and will take additional steps as appropriate. <clears throat> Anything that you uh, picked up on?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um They're saying it's not a bailout, right? You know, it's kind of like uh, this concept of uh, putting sprinkles on dog poop and calling it not dog poop, but it's uh, still dog poop with sprinkles on it. That's exactly what this is. They're peeing on our leg and telling us it's raining. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. By the way, can you get me a towel? Um, Because like that, my leg is soaked after that. Uh,
2: um, is that from the dog that's sitting by you?
1: No, no, there's no dog in my room. It's just, you know, the, the government peeing on our leg and telling us it's training Oh, okay. And, yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, There's one key word here. <clears throat> I don't know if you picked up on it. Okay. It starts with an L and ends with an N. It has Alone. an O and an A in between it. Loan? Loan! Loan. It's a... Loan, it's loan. It's <clears throat> okay, so Pat, if if the Federal Reserve, okay, mm-hmm. along with the Department of Treasury, uh huh. So the Federal Reserve is actually not part of the government, right? It is it is wholly separate. It is a completely separate entity. It just has the ability to control our monetary system.
0: Well, uh-huh. the Department
2: of Treasury is not right. The Department of Treasury is part of the system, is part of the government, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The FDIC, while its own corporation, still gets some federal funding, okay? Um, Where's the money coming
1: from for these loans, Pat? Gee, I, I wonder, um, could it be the taxpayer? Also, a $25
2: billion um, exchange stabilization fund from the Department of Treasury is directly from the taxpayer. We are literally paying for this, at least on paper, because everything is on paper when it comes to MMT, right?
1: Well, yeah. um, And Also, we should probably point this out. You know how you were saying in the beginning of this that... uh, The reason why these banks are going tits up is because they made bad investments and gave out bad loans to bad startups. Yep. Isn't the government doing the same damn thing here and billing these out?
2: (laughs) That was going to be point number three that I made, Pat.
1: So we're going to give a year-long loan to a bank that has been
2: proven to be insolvent, right? So that in Uh the hopes that they can be made whole and people will still continue to invest in these banks and put their money there and put their loans there. And therefore, they would be able to pay back those loans. We ain't seeing that money. Let's be real. And furthermore, Pat, let's say that um, there's an issue and we have to go to this uh, exchange stabilization fund. What number did I quote you that Silicon Valley Bank had uh, received for its depositors pulling money out how much Oh, on friday how much was it uh you have to rem- i don't remember the number now 47 billion oh yeah is that greater than or less than 25 billion uh, th- that's greater okay yeah. so <laughs> that's just one bank we also have signature bank right yeah and we don't know, come Monday, what those things are going to look like elsewhere, okay? Yeah. So, how much are we going to backstop with the FTBS? Then how much are we going to run through the Exchange, the exchange Stabilization Fund? The, the Exchange Stabilization Fund as the backstop wouldn't even cover half Well, it'll cover just about half, a little over half, I should say, half of what is owed in the Silicon Valley bank situation, let alone we don't even know how much money in the signature bank situation because it happened on Saturday. Well, so when they tell us they're not bailing them out, the taxpayer is not bailing these people out. Hmm. Um. Yes. Y- yes, they are.
1: Like the money has to come from somewhere. Yeah. And that's that's why that's why I'm like, yeah. If if it's not the taxpayer, then who is it? Um, is it that tree that they have in the Fed that no one knows about that just grows money? Because we all should be having one of those in our backyard at this point.
2: Hmm. Hmm. So I cannot pretend that I know all the answers to every question and every situation politically, financially, I can, you know, no. I don't know the all the answers here. But what I do know is that we are seeing this happen, right? And we already are running through high inflation times. In fact, we missed the mark on where we thought we were going to be in the first quarter when it came to inflation already, right? Right. Okay. At least the first two months of the year, because um, we're in March, so it still be the first quarter. So the first two months of the year, we we've missed our inflationary marks, meaning inflation is worse than they expected it to be. Would this or would this not just increase the inflationary pressure, Pat? Because what are we doing? What are we doing if we're talking about fully insuring $47 billion for one bank? And maybe, let's say, Signature Bank's another 20. Let's just say that, right? So we're for talking our, about 67 future. $70 billion
1: that we're just sucking into the economy. Gee, what's that going to do to inflation?
2: It's not just that, because what we are doing is propping these banks up. Who will then go out and have to do what, Pat? Because banks are not going to make money when you just simply deposit cash, right? Or deposit your, your
1: payroll or whatever have you, right? I'm, I'm guessing they're going to go make bad investments again. They have to
2: make investments, way. right? And they have to make investments that will make them quick money. So short-term debt is usually bad-term debt. Actually, you know what? You know what they're going to do, Pat? What's that? And here's the bet that the treasury is making. And here's the bet that the Federal Reserve is is making. They're going to go out and purchase the short-term US treasury debt. That's what they're going to that's what they're banking on. It's a circular monetary uh um um I don't. I don't want to put this in a. No, I don't want to do that. It's a circle. You know what? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what. That's what. That is really their only option because you can't go and get mortgage, right? Mm -hmm. You you can't do. Now you would get some money back on a six and a half seven percent loan, right? You're gonna. You're gonna be able to do some of that business, but you're not going to be able to do enough of it because it's long-term debt. You have to buy short-term debt to pay off a one-year loan, right? So how right. do you do that? You buy the six-month treasury or the three-year treasury note, right? You buy the the shortest-term treasury notes. You buy all of the things that you can buy in the hopes that you'll get 1%, 2% back, but enough of that 1% or 2% back that you're going to be able to afford whatever you need to, to, to pay back. that's bad in and of itself. Because all you are doing at that point is propping up bad US Treasury debt. (laughs) And getting nothing, you are literally, so the tax, we are shuffling the chairs on the Titanic is what we're doing. We are shuffling the chairs on the deck of the Titanic with this situation. And like I said, I cannot pretend that I know every answer. But what I do know is that every single time that we have decided to bail some of these companies out, it has blown up in our face every single time. How did Ford, Pat, afford to bail? So Ford took a little bit of bailout money, right? Not a lot. Yep. Yep. But how did GM take its bailout money and then less than five years pay it back off? How the hell did that happen? It happened because they really didn't need to be bailed out in the first place. They took the free money from the government, right? They took the money and and propped themselves up, and then voila, take the profit and right back in. We can't continue to bail everybody out. Sometimes you fail. That is a feature, not a bug, of capitalism. And free market economics, by the way, if people because what are we talking about again? A run on the bank, meaning people or companies believed that this bank was a risky place to put their money. They wanted their money out, right? Right. What's the problem? Oh, it's because our banking system is not built off of what it is leveraged banking. It is not based off of deposits and back. It has not been that way for, I don't know, since the Great Depression, right? You're not going to, you when you deposit your money, it doesn't stay in your account, period, point blank. Never really has, but it was supposed to, right? It, they were supposed to be able to have enough liquidity to pay out all of the deposits, right? The balance sheet, and then loan out the rest of it. That's not what's going on. We have leveraged banking. So beyond the leverage banking situation, Pat, solutions. I don't know the answer. You don't necessarily know the answer. Only thing that I can come up with is that bailing these companies out, bailing these banks out, while, yes, might do some temporary damage to the broader economy, it's a necessary feature of capitalism to let them fail. And I think Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, who is running for um, the President of the United States in 2024 under the Republican Party, Mm -hmm. had a really great answer to this. And here's the reason why I trust him, because he is heavily involved in securities and in the banking system, right? He is one who kind of created the, um, I forgot the name of the fund, but it's an ETF fund that works Basically to destroy the BlackRock and the Vanguard, you know, ESG conglomeration, if you will, conglomerate that has destroyed many a, uh, a board of directors, right? And he, he's kind of coming up with the anti-woke um, version of that, right? We're going we're gonna to pressure boards and put boards that are going to be focused on the bottom line of the company not on the rest of it. So he knows this system intimately. And he had some really, really important things to say. Um, he said the right answer is this, Pat. No depositor amnesty for SVB depositors. Let it fully fail. Number two, FDIC should get out of the way and let whoever wants to acquire Silicon Valley Bank, to actually do the deal. Number three, Monday morning, increase FDIC guarantee to $10 million for all banks. This prevents a run on other banks. Okay, he continues, if the U.S. government bails out SVB, we should rightly expect an Occupy Silicon Valley movement of historic proportions, and unfortunately, it will be justified. He's not wrong. No, he's not. For me, I I, I honestly yeah. think this is a this is a reasonable solution to this problem because on the backside of the bailouts, Pat, we we talk about the inflationary pressures, right? We talk about all of these other issues. I I can't think of a way to further heighten the inflationary pressures than this situation that already exists. And thumping billion, I mean, we're talking tens, if not hundreds, potentially, of billions of dollars into the economy overnight. That's not good. That's not healthy. To an economy in which we sometimes have pumped trillions of dollars, right? And we have not relieved the inflationary pressure. We've made it worse. Meanwhile, what is the Fed signaled Jerome Powell what is the Fed chair Jerome Powell signaled that we're going to continue rate hikes how did we get to the point of the insolvency issue because the interest rate is so great for lending from the Federal Reserve to the bank right the The bank has to go to the Federal Reserve to get money right and it is right. lending at a base rate right <coughs> Which, by the way, is not tied to your mortgage rate in any way, shape, or form. They are two completely separate things. All right? Mm -hmm. So for those in the audience, no, they have nothing to do with each other. In fact, in large inflationary times, home values have actually gone up. Interest rates have sometimes gone down. Sometimes they'll increase. The reason you're seeing an increase on your interest rate is simply supply and demand issues existing in the housing market. That is it. And how do you slow supply or, or demand when you have a supply issue? You raise your rates, right? All right. So on the banking side, we went from zero dollar lending, right, mm-hmm. to about three point seven five right now, somewhere in that range. I don't, I don't know, I don't know the the actual number right now, and have time to look it up. But it is over three percent. Okay. So. Now you have to pay that back at 3%. So not only have you been lending risky money out to startup uh, companies and maybe or maybe not getting any return on that investment, right? Now you also have to pay back the loan that you gave to, or that the the, the, uh, the Fed gave you at a much higher rate than you did before. So your, your money is worth less that you're lending out, which you are getting less of a return on. It's, a, again, that circular situation is happening, and you're going to circle it down the drain. What has Jerome Powell said? They're likely to raise rates again, except for what, what just happened. We just had a run on the bank, right, or two, two larger banks, right, the largest uh, startup bank, the largest bank in Silicon Valley, you know, crash and burn. So what do you do if you're Jerome Powell? You've already indicated to the market that you're likely to have to raise interest rates one more time at least in order to stem the rising inflationary pressure, right? But on the opposite side, you're pumping liquidity into the market and your rising interest rates have created part of the problem. So, what do you do? Do you see the problem that exists, right? You have a broader economic issue and a really large banking issue. You can't solve one by, if you solve one, you create a problem for the other. And either way you go. So, Jerome Powell is damned if he does and damned if he doesn't, right? Damned if he doesn't raise interest rates because of the broader economic inflationary pressure. And damned if he does raise interest rates because of the banking pressure. Thus the problem of MMT, right? Thus the problem of a bullshit economic theory being put into practice by both Republicans and Democrats, by the way, for the last 15 years. Whether they knew it or not as a theory or as an economic practice, they've been doing it. Look at the budget for 2024 and the fiscal side of things. We haven't even been able to touch on it, Pat, you and I. But what do we know? They're talking about over the course of 10 years going from $31 trillion to over $50 trillion in debt. On our national debt. Oh, but they're slowing the rate of the deficit. Right, but we can't even afford to make the interest payments anymore. Thus, the problem that exists, until we can reverse that situation, we really have to have, we do not have a spending issue, or excuse me, we do not have a take-in issue. We have a spending issue. We have a loan issue. We have a modern monetary theory issue in this country. So if you wanna look at how the hell this happened, look at modern monetary theory, In practice, that is exactly how we got to this point. It is government, it is business being cronies of government, it is bad banking policy and cronyism within that, and it's bad business practices. It's all four areas. There are are no innocent bystanders when it comes to this. Because Pat, it's free money, right? If you're if you're a startup company, right? It's free money. No such thing. I and and I want to be clear on this because I know startups in which it might be three four years, right, before they even have a product to put out to the public, because of R and D, because of you know all the patents and all the stuff that they might need, and da 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 da. So it is a long-term play for some of these banks. But, but when you are literally running on fumes, on funding fumes, when you are running on bank loan fumes, in these types of times, you better have a product to put out quick instead of slowly. I, I just I hope people understand We are watching modern monetary theory kill our country economically. And these continued bailouts, because this is what this new program is, okay? These continued bailouts do not serve capitalism well. They don't serve anybody other than the cronies, than the oligarchy, that we see exist in this country, that's the only people that it serves. That's it. The rest of us are going to be left holding this bag. This is not temporary. This is not a solution. This is a Band-Aid that will be ripped off at some point in time, and we're going to pay even worse for it. With that said, Pat, I believe it is time for us to play a little bit of the B or not the B. Are you ready? Oh, I'm
1: ready. Okay. Lay that headline on me. Alrighty then. Today's headline. Oscars ratings soar as nation watches in hopes of seeing someone slap Jimmy Kimmel. Oscar ratings soar as nation watches in hopes of seeing someone slap Jimmy Kimmel. Is this the B or not the be? That is the question. What are you thinking about the Andrew Coppins folks? It's Monday. It's the monday after daylight savings time which why we still have that in practice <sighs> i i i don't i don't know i don't know but it doesn't impact people like uh, andrew coppins over there because he's a morning person um and you know people who aren't morning people just you know want to punch him in the face sometimes but anyway <laughs> um mm-hmm. if you were not a morning person and you need that morning pick me up I have a solution for you, that's going to CoffeeBrandCoffee.com. They've got different flavors over there. They've got great flavors over there that that you can try. Um, If you have particular flavors that you like, I highly recommend going with those and then maybe trying one that you haven't tried before and and running with that as well. If you are not a coffee drinker like me, um, they have alternatives such as tea and hot chocolate. Um, Big fan of the hot chocolate, by the way. All you need to do to so that you don't re- have the issue of not having a morning pick-me-up anymore is go to coffeebrandcoffee.com, use the promo code Critical Thinking at Checkout, and you'll get five percent off your purchase. That's coffeebrandcoffee.com, promo code critical thinking at checkout, and get five percent off your purchase today. All right, so Oscar ratings soar as Nation watches in hopes of seeing someone slap Jimmy Kimmel. Is this the B or not the B? Andrew Coppins, your answer. Of course, this is the
2: Babylon B. I mean, it, it, we would have heard about it, and and it was Chris Rock last year at the Oscars who got bitch-slopped by uh, Will Smith. Which, by the way, have you seen the, Chris Ro- the, the scene from the, the special or the special from Chris Rock? I, I have not. Okay, well, number one, is, it's pretty vulgar, so it's like if you can't handle that, then maybe don't watch it, but um, it is hilarious uh, how many ways he finds to call Will Smith a uh, a female dog <laughs> in like 30 seconds. He calls him a female dog at least a half a dozen times.
1: <laughs> uh, I, I will say, supposedly, Will Smith was very hurt by... I'm Um, sure. I'm sure he was. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, ratings for the 95th Academy Awards skyrocketed this year as millions tuned in, hoping to see Jimmy Kimmel get slapped on live television. We have never seen such a tremendous spike in ratings said ABC producer Lena Wright. Jimmy Kimmel potentially being smacked in the face has remarkable unparalleled appeal. It crosses every single demographic. Despite the Academy Awards reputation for being a collection of rowdy lectures from depraved lunatics, the possibility of a guy slapping Jimmy Kimmel was enough to prompt millions to turn on the TV. I've never, never once had the slightest interest in watching the Oscars, said Ohio native Lenny Finley, but my wife said there's a real chance Jimmy Kimmel will get an open hand wallop right in the middle of the whole deal. I had no idea that this was part of the Oscars. I wouldn't miss that for the world. According to sources, the Academy spent months laboring to decide who America would most likely to see slapped on stage. We had many strong contenders such as Jim Carrey and LeBron James said, Miss Wright. Alec Baldwin was on the short list, but I'm, I'm not ready to die. Uh, In the end, we hit uh, an absolute grand slam picking Jimmy Kimmel. At publishing time, the nation's excitement had reached a a fever pitch after Will Smith had reportedly been spotted sneaking into the Oscars ironically disguised with a bald cap. (laughs) Well done, Babylon
2: B. All right. So before we uh, move forward here on the show, and we're going to talk about our NCAA tournament picks, uh, which you can join us over on the ESPN bracket challenge. Um, before we move on to that, though, um, I, I want you to hear from v- uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy in his own words about this situation. And there's two things. One, he went on CNN, and I think this is a really important uh, point that he made over the weekend about this situation. And then he also tweeted something out this morning that I really think is important to bring up here.
0: I think this is an issue with respect to the securities they held, the concentration risk of their customer base, and their failure to hedge those risks. However, here's a couple observations I'll make. Silicon Valley Bank just last year made a $5 billion commitment to sustainable finance to ensure a better and more more sustainable planet. If they had actually solved for a more sustainable balance sheet, they would have better done their job but it's even deeper than that. I think that if they do get bailed out, part of their bet is that they wanted to signal that they're one of the good guys by influence amongst influential people in Silicon Valley, even in Washington, D.C., by gesturing towards even committing five billion dollars, which I don't think is responsible towards something outside of what their core mission should have been focused on. And you know what? The sad part of the story is if they do get bailed out, it'll be because they bought that kind of social insurance. And I've written about this in Woke Inc. It's not that different than what companies like Goldman Sachs did back in the 2008 financial crisis. You play the right games. You influence the right people. You send the right virtue signals. You're the one that gets bailed out if you're Goldman instead of Lehman Brothers who didn't do those things. This is crony capitalism. We saw the movie in 2008. I had a front row seat to it. I was working in finance in New York City back then is my first job out of college. It would be a sad thing to see that story repeat itself. And this isn't a left-wing or a right-wing issue. It's an issue about the integrity of capitalism itself.
2: And that is the point, the integrity of capitalism itself. This is why you oppose the cronyism that is going on. Too big to fail is not a thing in capitalism. It isn't. And then furthermore, he made this great point this morning, Pat. What is one of the things that... Um, we heard in that that statement from the Fed and the Treasury, it was all about the workers, right? All about protecting the, the workers and the, the tech startup uh, workforce, right? He pointed this out. The idea that the bailout was to, quote unquote, help the workers at tech startups is bogus. How do we know this, Pat? Well, he points out. Venture investors could easily infuse fresh equity capital to make up for any balance sheet losses. Yes, that involves painful equity dilution for founders and venture capitalists, but that doesn't justify a bailout. And that's the point. If this was about making sure that they could make payroll, right? If this was about all these other things, trust me, I know this intimately, That is the first place you go. You go to your VCs, your your board of directors, your investors, and ask them for the cash first. Why? Because they have a vested interest in seeing your business succeed. Much more so than a bank that's loaning you some money. Okay? That's why you do that first. If you really care about your workers, why? Because it's fast capital, by the way. It would be immediate infusion of capital, boom. And how do I know this? Because I was around for the discussions, some of them, because of my position that I, and because of the program that I was running <clears throat> at, at the startup that I was at prior to my career in real estate. I know this intimately. The conversations that were happening around how do we stay liquid and solvent as COVID hit? Do we need to pull Andrew's program back? Do we need to do these things? Now, luckily, they didn't. Why? They were able to work out a deal, given the fact that we had next to no income coming in and next to no whatever. The deal was very simple. We're not paying you a... You know, monthly fee, that's not what we're doing. Per transaction that comes through, we're paying you. Cool. We don't need to work out anything. We're paying you per whatever comes through the system. And there was nothing coming through. It was an easy win, right? So they were able to stay more solvent because we were cutting fraud, because of these things, because of some of the tools that were put in place on our end. And then... The venture capitalists, the funds, the people that were, uh, you know, investing in the business said, we're going to make a commitment to try our best. And yes, the PPP loans, but we're going to make a commitment to try our level best to keep all of our employees whole as much as humanly possible. Now, it didn't work out because of the length of time that it took for our economy to kind of start moving a little bit. But that's where they went first. They didn't go to the bank. They went to the VCs. Vivek is dead right on this. And if he's not careful, he might just be right enough to make a splash in the 2024 election cycle, like a big splash, because he's the only one over here going no bailouts. And here's how you actually fix a financial issue, because he knows it. He understands it. He's not Donald Trump who has played The debt game, right? He is not somebody who uses bad debt like Donald Trump has. He understands how you get out of these situations. It'll be interesting to see what happens here. All right. That being said, Pat, it is time for us to talk about the NCAA tournament because we are both big time basketball fans, especially on the college level. And, um, You know, we have our bracket challenge on ESPN. I will pin it to my Twitter feed so that you can join us again. Just like last year, you will win um, coffee from us, from our friends at coffee brand coffee.com. And I will get a hold of you one way or the other um, to make sure that you get your coffee. Um, So with that being said, Pat, um, we're not going to go game by game or whatever. We're just going to start with the elite eight here. Where where do we go? Let's start in the south. The number one overall seed is Alabama in this tournament, um, rightfully so, given the stuff on the court, whatever you want to say about all the stuff off the court. So mm. the Elite Eight in the South, I have Alabama playing Arizona, a 1-2 matchup in the Elite Eight there. What say you?
1: I disagree. Okay. Um, I I actually um, have Virginia playing uh, Arizona in the Elite Eight game. Fair enough.
2: With the winner of that being Alabama for me. I have I have Arizona winning that game. All right. Out in the East, I have chalk again, Purdue and Marquette. Purdue is a matchup nightmare for a lot of teams because of Zach Eady and his size and his uh, ability. And Marquette is an absolute nightmare because they are, I think, the hottest team in America right now. I actually have Purdue winning that matchup, though, because I think their size and Zach Edie is a is a complete difference maker. And as I always say, the NCAA tournament is about matchups. And Purdue is the biggest matchup nightmare for me in this tournament.
1: Yeah, um, I, I, I agree with you on the Purdue count, but uh, I have Purdue playing Kansas State hmm. instead.
2: Yeah, I, I don't think Kansas State makes it past Kentucky. Um, and that's that has again a matchup issue for me
1: but well well <clears throat> Kansas state has has been kind of a dark horse in the big 12 this year mm-hmm. i i i'm I'm hedging my bets on some upset games here and like i I, I will say this I am not confident in my bracket because I'm picking some some upsets this year more more than I usually do
2: all right so on one half of the final four I've got Alabama taking on Purdue what do you have uh taking on um Who did you come out of the
1: South? Uh, uh, Well, yeah, Arizona. So I have Purdue taking on Arizona in the final four.
2: All right. So um, in the Midwest, I have number one, Houston, taking on my number six, Iowa State Cyclones. A little bit of a homer pick, a little bit, but I will say this. I think this bracket really bodes well for the game that Iowa State plays that matchup with Xavier is going to be intriguing whoever wins that I think can really match up well with either Texas or Texas Am um mm-hmm. and so I think Houston Iowa State I am picking Houston to go on to the final four though
1: uh I actually have Indiana versus Iowa State I, I just don't have a lot of trust in the number one seeds this year um yeah
2: it's a wide open tournament. And for yeah. me, that's a year where I think chalk can kind of hold itself up.
1: Yeah. This is why I've picked a lot of upsets, just because I don't trust the number one seeds at all. Um, and so I actually am going with Indiana versus Iowa State in the Elite Eight game. And I have Iowa State winning that game. You have more faith in my Cyclones than I do. I, and, I mean, I would rather if, see the Hoosiers win it, but Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. 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 And then out West, I have a elite eight matchup of Kansas and Gonzaga or Gonzaga, however you want to pronounce it. <laughs> but I've, I've got the Bulldogs, the number three seed upsetting Kansas, the defending reigning national champions, because we all know repeat national champions are very hard to find. And I think Kansas has shown some holes. Um, I also think that... Um, Drew Timmy is an absolute, again, matchup nightmare for almost every team. And when Gonzaga is the quote-unquote underdog or the lesser talked about in the bracket, the better off they tend to perform. So I've got Houston and Gonzaga in the other Final Four matchup. What do you have?
1: Uh, (laughs) So I have UCLA uh, beating Kansas in the Elite Eight. Mm. And then I have UCLA playing Iowa State. Uh, In In, that game. And in your final
2: four. So, my final four, it is Alabama meeting up with Purdue and Houston meeting up with Gonzaga. My national championship game is Purdue taking on the Bulldogs of Gonzaga.
1: So, for me, it is Arizona playing Purdue and then Iowa State playing UCLA. I have Purdue and UCLA playing each other. And then my winner overall is going to be Purdue 86 83.
2: Stole my answer. And I think that answer is going to be Purdue 74-68 over the Zags. Um I think this is going to be a fascinating tournament. I agree with you. I think there's going to be some wild things that happen in this tournament because this is one of the most wide open brackets I have ever seen. There's no like yeah. clear 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 number 1 or like the the top 4 or the top 4. Like I can make an argument that Marquette probably is the hottest team in the country. They could have easily been a number one seed because of what they've done over the last, really since they lost to Wisconsin at home mm-hmm. in, in, at the five serve forum. What Wisconsin did to them, and then they turned that switch real freaking quick. Um, So, I I mean, I can make a case for probably 10 to 12 teams being in the national champion this year.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I had to stick with Mike, because one of my predictions for the beginning of the year was Purdue winning the first... Big 10 team to win a national title game forever.
2: Yeah. And I didn't, so, didn't necessarily disagree with you. I thought that Indiana yeah. might have a chance at it too, but Purdue looks very, very good.
1: So, well, in Indiana, Indiana fell apart against Penn State. So, yeah, they did. They, I mean, talk about a fall.
2: I mean, if they would have hit that shot, <laughs> that uh, circus shot at the end of the game there, if they would have hit that, holy smokes. But anyway. All that notwithstanding, um, you can enter our tournament challenge, go to um, go to my Twitter. It's at The Cop and Show. You'll see it pinned there. Again, you can win your uh, own bag of Coffee Brand Coffee from us. Go to CoffeeBrandCoffee.com. Enter the promo code CRITICALTHINKING at checkout to check it out for yourself. The official coffee of this program. All right. So we have a one other thing to get to, this, this little book here. Uh, it's called... Rise of the Fourth Reich, uh, confronting COVID fascism with a new Nuremberg trial, so this never happens again. We are on chapters three and four. We are on chapters three and four today. Is that right, Pat? Yes, that is correct. So we begin kind of talking about um, some important things here in chapters three and four. Um, first of all, we are talking to, in chapter three, um, San, Sam Sigaloff. Um, why don't you let people know who Sam Sigaloff is
1: Uh, I'm hang on here I'm having to actually refresh my memory on this one
2: Well he's the military doctor Major Samuel N. Sigaloff.
1: Right uh, In um, fact like the first four chapters are all I think mostly military
2: With the exception of Scott Miller It's the first yeah, three Scott chapters
1: Miller, yeah, Scott, yeah Scott Miller uh, was is a doc. Uh, well no he's a physician's assistant I thought
2: Right PA. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Who had his who had his own practice in uh rural Washington state. Okay. Right. Um so those are the two people that we're talking to. I don't know about you, but the the Sam sigeloff one for me, given what we saw in chapters two one and two, this was a little bit of a fluff. I don't know about you.
1: It's it's similar to the previous two chapters.
2: Very similar to the previous two chapters, but it does bring up um, off-label medication. Mm-hmm. It does bring up some important um key aspects of what was going on in the military, right? Right. But the most important chapter, I think, in this book is chapter four for me. I don't know about
0: have, you. Have so you far, this the is book? the
2: most important chapter. Have you finished the book? I have not finished it, but I think this is going to be the most important chapter in the book, and here's why. Okay. Um, Because this is somebody who has dealt with patients, actual physical patients in Hmm. a clinical setting.
0: Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And you can't get more important than that. You can't get more hands-on. You can't understand the impact of medicine better than mm-hmm. hands-on practice of it, okay? And how he was able to literally treat thousands upon thousands of people on a daily basis. He talks about sometimes working 21 hours, right? Helping mm-hmm. people um, from either across the country or in his local pediatric mm-hmm. and, and then further expanding it into adults, his ability to understand medication and apply it, this is applied medical science, okay? This is what it means to be a doctor, is to find solutions. Oftentimes, and what has been my complaint, Pat, about our broader um, medical system, it is a system that is in search of treating the symptom, not the cause. We are too often attempting to mask and get rid of the symptom. But what's actually causing the issue? And that's been part of my journey, right? Through years and years and years of pain and discomfort, some of which has been caused by actual medical issues. Um, Others caused by environmental issues. And by environmental issues, I mean things like, um, you know, gluten allergies and intolerances and intolerances to all sorts of other things. But every every step along the way, was all about treating the symptom. And in fact, I literally had my doctor um, who did my knee surgery here tell me, yeah, my job isn't to treat the cause. My job is to treat the symptom. I I can't tell you what the cause is. Why? Because he doesn't have enough time to look into it, Pat. But that's what this this physician's assistant did. Took the time to look. Took the time to research. Took the time to study, 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 and apply the studies to his own business. And paid an ultimate price for it, as we find out in this chapter, right?
1: Well, I mean, you you bring up a good point because he's actually asked about... Um, whether or not he found it ironic uh, that he was willing to meet in person with patients that weren't even his patients, but the doctors who complained about it were often weren't willing to meet in person with their own patients. Right. And so he's meeting in person with these people, giving them the time of day, whereas oftentimes than not, their own doctors would not do it. So how do you, how do you treat somebody yeah. and, and and really find the root cause if you're not willing to – take that risk to meet in a person. I mean, is this this not part of your job as a medical professional to actually meet with patients and put yourself in those kind of situations? Um, And
2: and one of the things that he really importantly points out here is that it was never a one size fits all solution. Mm -hmm. It was about figuring out what the trigger is. So like somebody who's asthmatic might have a different course of treatment than somebody who has a heart issue. Right. Mm. Or or whatever is going on um, when it comes to covid in the response. Um, and he talks about how the medical system always pushed back against him for early intervention or um, interventions prior to going on a ventilator. And. That was the solution for a lot of medical doctors in. Pri- This is part and parcel of the problem that we have is that they're more worried about keeping their business alive and their practice alive than they are about their patients. And here's why. Because one medical malpractice lawsuit and they're screwed, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe the indemnification shouldn't have been with Pfizer. It should have been with doctors in this case and in medical practices They were more worried about following protocol than figuring out how to treat the actual patient on a patient-by-patient basis. It was always two things, right? Um, We're going to give you remdesivir and put you on a ventilator. And what did we hear from from Scott Miller here? If you went on a ventilator, you're going to die. And that's what happened to the vast majority of people. But if he was able to get in with the doctors and give them a different course of treatment, most of those patients walked out. Not everybody. You can't save everybody. That's not a foolproof situation. But what he pointed out in this chapter and why this is so important is he pointed out the medical interventions, right? He pointed out the problems with the medical system and more importantly, just how this is the case of the fascism, the complaints against him, right? They just emergently, you know, emergency, got to suspend the license. That's what happens here in chapter four. They suspend his license to practice in the state on some bogus crap, too, by the way. Like stuff that had nothing to do with him because they, the state of California screwed up with Scott Miller. How many Scott Millers exist in the state of California? Probably a lot. Probably a lot. Right? And so they accused him of fraud. Which didn't actually happen because the 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 person that they were thinking of was a different Scott Miller who was convicted of a felony in the state of California. And somehow attempted to use that against him.
1: Well and, and this is this is the part I like I mean I, I... I mean we we could talk about the tyranny and the control and all that stuff when we, like agnostic like we've had in the past, but yeah. he's clearly helped people. Clearly people have walked out who are who are at death's door that 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 walked out of his clinic alive because he in days. saved them. He he did something about it, right? Yet you get the Washington State Board gets involved, he gets suspended, and yet he's helped so many people. Why why would you why would you want to take someone like that out? It, it, it's yeah, just, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand that. Other
2: than the fear mongering, other than the control and fascism, right? And, and not only that, but the other part of this is that um, he did this in the face of all sorts of pressure from all from all corners to not speak out, to not put a a spotlight on what he did, even including his wife. Right. Yeah. And and this is why I think this is important. Not just because this, this is the beginning of the exposure of the medical tyranny, not just the tyranny of government, right? Which is where we started with the military and the experimentation and all that stuff. But now we're getting into the general population and we're watching the, the medical fascism. We are watching the, the group think, And we are watching a man who stands up with faith, faith that drives his decisions. And and he talks about this and importantly about um, praying for hours and hours and hours uh, after his wife begged him to not do this and and wasn't going to give him a ride right to this big rally that was happening in Olympia. Um, And somebody knocks on his door at 5 a.m. and gives him a ride. Sign from God, right? And stands up with his faith, and eventually his wife comes around, and eventually his wife is supportive, and eventually all these things happen. Good, bad, or indifferent. But he's treated literally thousands of people. He saved thousands of lives. That's God's work.
1: And the thing is, I I, I get I get at the time. I don't I don't think it's so much is now, but at the time. What he was doing may have been a little more of the unconventional route in terms of treating COVID. I get that. Okay. But has it ever occurred to anyone that maybe when you have something that is unprecedented that, that you haven't seen before, maybe it's time to get a little unconventional in the way that we're treating patients. Well,
2: more importantly, Pat, th- he also talks about this for all doctors all over the place always do off brand, off market, right? Off brand. Mm. um uses of medication time and time again. Why? Because they're attempting to treat a symptom or they're looking at symptoms and going, oh, wait a second. This is something that we might want to try if XYZ isn't going to work, right? That's the practice of medicine. That is the literal practice of that. And he points out how he did that and how many people he helped. And I I think the juxtaposition that exists in this chapter might set up uh, further uh, chapters, And I think this is kind of that linchpin point of mm-hmm. watch watch what the government will do if you don't toe the line and um, the scariness of of that, because there's not one way to skin a cat to use a phrase. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I just in, in the fact that the government believed that that was the, that there was only one way is the most insane thing I have ever seen one size doesn't fit all or whatever euphemism you want to use
1: right whatever Again, cliche
2: into, you want to use
1: if you remember my my common saying of what is what is medicine for one may be poison for another yep you know it's 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 the same concept here and and oddly enough like he actually mentions this too uh to this I don't know if it's to this day but as of the time when he recorded this interview he had uh i believe a natural natural pathic doctor reach out to him and a, and, a, and a DO reach out to him, but he hasn't had a single MD doctor reach out to him in terms of treatments and, and what, he, what he's been doing. Um, now, is that true today? I don't I don't know, right. but um, and, and, as of when this interview happened, that, that's what happened.
2: And what he also sets up is what I have talked about time and time again. A lot of these doctors don't have the time to be mm. able to go through the science that he was able to go through and look at the studies and figure out Um, you know, piecing together the puzzle for this patient and then the next patient and, and okay, this treatment might work for you, but it can't work because you're diabetic or, you know, this or that or, or whatever have you, um, they can't do that. So they were just going to go with the protocol given to them by the, by the hospital. Why? Because if they go off brand and something goes wrong, right. Hmm. There, there goes your license or there goes your practice because you just got hit with malpractice potentially or whatever have you. But they they, uh, they also didn't have time. They were too busy doing other things, doing paperwork, all the other stuff that goes along with um, practicing, quote unquote. But to your point, they also couldn't practice because how are you supposed to practice when you're just across the screen? I, I can't right. treat- correctly i can't draw the blood i can't do the things that i need to do to really kind of understand what's really going on with you right and uh so i I think that was the biggest fail and i thought this was a very important chapter for me this is the most important because of the direct influence he had on patients
1: i i think you'll change your mind on that just just for the sake of there are other similar chapters in here about doctors treating Mm -hmm. patients as well so we'll but see we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens but uh
2: yeah next week we'll move on to chapters five and six for you um which any I'm final preview, thoughts
1: uh I'll, I'll preview those right now the, the, these two chapters i think are the two chapters that pissed me off the most
2: already so, then we'll just leave yeah. it at that pat your final thoughts on today's show
1: uh don't get lost remember who you are no means no and have you ever tried to rearrange chairs on a sinking ship Please be smart, be safe, be kind, make sure you eat all of your meals today.
2: Make sure your deposits are federally backed. As always, Matthew 547.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts?